Hi everyone, it's Trevor here from We Need to Talk About Movies podcast and I'm back for volume four of the films that I own that I haven't yet watched. In case you haven't heard this already, basically, over the years I have bought films at a rate quicker than I can watch them. So I've written all the names onto scraps of paper, put them all into a little container and every month I will pick out four or five titles at random, watch them for the first time and review them. So join me as I select four more titles from the films I own that I haven't watched yet. And join me at the end and I will give you my film of the month. Thank you. Okay, it's me again. Back at the pot. I'll give them a good shake. And let's see which title is going to come out of here tonight. Dig deep, Trevor, dig deep. I've got one. It is Deliverance. John Borman, isn't it? With uh, Ned Beatty and Burt Reynolds. So let me have a look. Deliverance, let me find it. Okay, Deliverance, here we are. Iconic films, iconic indeed. So, four ordinary men in two canoes navigate a river they only know as a line on a map taken on a wilderness they only think they understand. Deliverance, based by James Dickey on his novel, surges with the urgency of masterful storytelling. Like George's Chattooga River, along which it was shot. Equally masterful is the portrayal of each man's change of character under stress, harrowingly enacted by award winners John Voigt, Burt Reynolds, Ned Beatty and Ronnie Cox. Director John Borman sets us on the knife edge of survival and draws us in with the irresistible force of a raging current. I know of this film, obviously, it's a classic. It's been on my shelf for quite some time. One I bought in a bundle, never got round to watching. I know the banjo scene. I don't know the significance of the banjo scene. So yeah, it's going to be quite interesting to watch Deliverance. I'll let you know what I think once I've watched it. So, Deliverance. It, it is a good film, very good film. Um, so is it 1972, I think? So as I've mentioned before on the podcast, it's a time I really like in American cinema. It started to go to some really sort of daring and dark places. And uh, this one here, yeah, considerably dark. It starts off as four city folk going out on an idyllic canoe trip before I get the idea that this is all going to be, it's all going to be buried uh, under a, making a lake so all this natural beauty is going to be wasted all these little towns it starts off with a really iconic scene the Julian banjos where one of the characters uh, Ronnie Cox's character Drew he's playing the guitar as they're all sort of they're filling up with gas at this old farm and there's locals there and Drew starts playing the guitar and then a little boy comes up 
I say little boy is very very weird looking man child he starts playing his banjo and then they have a, a duel off it's fantastic the duel in banjos becomes the only real score through the film but yeah it starts off as an idyllic scene it's lovely it's set up well it sets up the characters you've got Burt Reynolds character Lewis he's really pushing for these blokes to take their cars and beat them at the other end of the river they sort of warn him not to and he knows best he's he's very much the gun ho sort of adventurer type uh, then you've got john voigt ed he's much more sort of down to earth family man uh, ned Beatty, bobby you probably know him as otis in the superman films that's how i always recognize him Lex Luthor's little mate in the original Christopher Reeve Superman films. And Ned Beatty is quite uncouth, quite negative, and no one wants to be with him. No one wants to travel with him in car or on canoe. Uh, and then you've got Drew, who, as I said, Ronnie Cox, who I know as Dick Jones in Robocop. And I think he's like the chief in Beverly Hills Cop as well. He's sort of the most sort of homely character out of the lot. He seems to be in awe of everything and he sees the good in things, you know, he, he relates to that little boy and he's just amazed by the talent. And anyway, they go off and they're having this lovely trip. The first day is really nice as they're traveling down the canoe and it's all tranquil and there's a bit exciting when they're going down some rapids. But it all turns to terror. Ed and Bobby are sort of ahead and they pull up to the side and there's these two locals in the woods really unnerving and they basically yeah they they attack them they tie john voigt up and they attack ned Beatty. squeal like a pig we're gonna make you squeal like a pig you can imagine what's going on it's it's a horrendous scene and it's made even worse for the lack of a score there's no musical score a lot of the camera just holds on the action there's no escaping what's going on really really well made and really well shot the power of this scene is immense because it's it's just the sound you're there you just you feel like you're there witnessing it the, the film's like that throughout really they kill one of them and then it becomes a, a story of survival of conscience they sort of a bit of a rift between the four of them um but they decide they've got to you know they've got to stick together and then they start to bury the body and even that scene is an agonizing painful long scene where it's, it's really raw of them burying the body they know what they got to do they don't always like it but they've got to live with it and that's where this film differs from most movies like this their journey is only just beginning they've they've got to fight the consequences they've got to get out of the river and as the story continues things don't go to plan things get worse and they're through this journey that's just painful yet mesmerizing to watch it's just you can't take your eyes off the screen you want to know what's going to happen but unlike most films as i was saying when they reach the end when they reach land that isn't the end of the story the the story's never going to end for them they're always going to have to deal with what they've been through they'll have to remember it they'll have to face the consequences and you know it's not like oh we've made it back to land we can forget everything that's the end that's the resolution that isn't the resolution there is no happy ending in a story like this and that's what's that's what makes it really yeah really powerful film as i said the camera work is great the soundscape is fantastic 
but the camera work. It's uh, Vilmos Zygmunt, who I know from being the cinematographer on Closing Counters of the Third Kind and Sugarland Express. But his camera work's amazing, especially during the scenes where they're canoeing down the rapids and the camera's fixed on them. And you can see they're doing all their own canoeing here, the actors. There doesn't seem to be a lot of stuntmen, you know, in their shots because the camera is is fixed on them all the way through. Yeah, really skillful. How it's always in focus. It stays with them as they're speeding down. And it's such a gliding camera. It's just mesmerising. So, you know... For the most part, it seems to be all filmed on location as well in the Appalachian Mountains. And there was a scene where I thought where John Voigt is climbing up a rock face. He's going to confront who he thinks is another hillbilly up in the up on the cliff and he climbs up this cliff face and it's turning dark. And at first I thought it was like really dodgy blue screen. But the more I think about it, I think what has actually happened is they filmed it at daytime and they're trying to turn it into night because there's some bits where the the trees behind just don't look real. And I'm pretty sure that's what they've done. They've just turned day into night. And it's one of the only things that dates the movie, really. So, yeah, it is a really great film. Really about how these characters will cope in survival situations. You know, it's one of the lines in the film. But Reynolds' character says, you know, it's a game survival that's what we're here for one day you know everything's going to fail and we're going to have to survive those who can survive be the ones who make it out um and then it becomes exactly the philosophy that they're having to live by sooner than they thought and then the ending is ominous you just see the lake where they've buried the body in the river sunk it down with stones and john voigt wakes up and he's sort of has a vision of the hand popping out and the body being discovered so it's always going to be there for them yeah really great really thoughtful film john borman not a director i'm too familiar with his work i'm sure he won the oscar for this or he's certainly nominated and then off of the back of this he went on to make zardos which i don't know if you've ever seen zardos but just google it look at the uh image that comes up and uh, yeah you'll think how do you go from deliverance to zardos but he did maybe zardos is one for another day anyway so yeah deliverance really fantastic film okay here again list full of films doesn't get any smaller you know i do keep adding to this <laughs> So this series could go on forever. What have I got here? Blade Trilogy. Now, I've put the trilogy in because I've got... Someone was selling them on Facebook. So I picked up all three. Obviously, we'll watch them in order. Never seen the Blade films. All my friends used to love them. Very early sort of Marvel vampire hunter sort of thing, isn't it? Wesley Snipes. But yeah, something that I never really got into. I'll go and find the case. There we are. Blade, Wesley Snipes, Stefan Dorf, Fast, Funky, Fantastic, arousing, rip-roaring, blaze of thrills. Okay, a blood-chilling, action-packed thriller about modern-day vampires unlike any previously encountered. Wesley Snipes is Blade, the ultimate vampire hunter, 
an immortal warrior who possesses the superhuman strength and cunning of a vampire, but shares none of their weaknesses. Able to walk by day and stalk by night, Blade must confront his ultimate adversary, the vampire overlord Deacon Frost, Stefan Dwarf, who is intent on leading an underground legion of vampires to conquer mankind. Blade must use his awesome powers and raise a sharp weaponry like never before to prevent the annihilation of the entire human race. Yeah, I went through a stage back along of watching vampire films, well, two or three years ago now, and I didn't even think to watch these then. So, here we go. Wesley Snipes' Blade, part one. Let's watch it. Okay, so... Blade, as I said, one of the early Marvel films. It's weird to think that actually uh, that Marvel have such a, a wealth of really popular characters. And then uh, Howard the Duck was the very first Marvel character they turned into a film. But anyway, I digress. Blade, so 1998. I mean, this came out before the X-Men. It came out before Spider-Man. And it's obviously it's an 18. It's not a children's Marvel film. It's it's okay. It started really good. It starts with a rave beneath an abattoir. So you know, very often vampire films use the sort of drug taking teenage connotations, like like with uh, Lost Boys. It was using vampires as a metaphor for drugs use. This started off as such, but then it goes into this this rave where this girl woman who's a vampire invites this man to this rave and then they have a shower of blood uh, it's pretty intense scene it's a pretty cool cool way to open the film and then wesley snipes comes in turns a bloodbath into an ash bath as he starts eliminating and exterminating vampires you know snipes is pretty cool in this as you'd expect a sort of an action hero to be it's not a lot about him other than he looks cool and stern all the time and he's on a mission and it's this is before the matrix but he's sort of dressed there's a lot of similarity to the matrix so i don't know whether the matrix sort of borrowed some of the influence from this or whether it's just picking up on the goth vibe because you know obviously he's got like the long black trench coats which is synonymous with with the vampire and the goths anyway i suppose but um, there was a few bits in it where I thought it was very similar to The Matrix. Some of the fight sequences especially, there's some really elaborate karate fight sequences. And also some fairly early CGI and the slow motion bullets in particular is something that it happens in this where Stefan Dorff's character dodges some bullets in slow motion which we later would see much more effectively in The Matrix. But the production values for this film weren't that bad. I can see why it was a big hit, and I can see why a lot of my friends back in the day really enjoyed it. At that point, I was sort of losing interest in action films and vampire films, and I think still, as I've watched this now, it's I still feel the same towards action films really it's a lot of sort of generic plot points you know everything happening in an order and you can see the characters and you pretty much know all the twists and turns that it's going to take you on you know you meet um chris christopherson as whistler who is blade's mentor and sort of protector he helps blade on his missions he makes his weapons and they're sort of a team together but you know he's not going to survive the movie 
movie because you know that our hero's always got to lose his mentor halfway through the film he rescues karen so there's that the damsel in distress but again she sort of becomes his partner in crime they they team up together but she's also a a hermatologist which is is ideal for him happy coincidence because being a human with vampire powers he needs a serum to keep the bloodlust at bay and she can help sort of create that serum and also she helps create a super serum that will help destroy the vampires so the vampire baddies the main guy the main bad guy is Stefan Dorf who actually I think for me was one of the one of the best things about this film was his character he's he's not a pure blood vampire he's a young like a representative of the youth culture taking over the world the CEOs and big corporate takeovers being put in the hands of younger more ruthless sort of ceos and this is exactly sort of a, 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 an analogy of that where stefan dorf waltzes into like the vampire council and uh, he's instantly he's sort of dismisses of them and you can tell he's he's vying for power there he's got his own plans and these guys are not part of it he's going to push the old order out um so some of the highlights for me are the, the soundtrack was pretty cool it's from my era a lot of like the old hard house dance music chilled hip-hop drum and bass uh, really went together well with this film again you can see why it was such a cult classic back in the day with our generation the fast-paced fight sequences and editing really go with the music but to be honest by the time the film reaches its final act i'm pretty bored action films just don't do it for me they're so generic and you're just waiting for them all to go through the motions and the big elaborate plots take ages to sort of get through and you know the outcome before they happen there's no tension there if just if you enjoy fights scenes and an action then you're going to enjoy the film but if you're not a fan of fight scenes and action then it, it is a slow ride to the end so for three quarters of it i was enjoying it but just the final act of the film i found really dull which is a bit of a shame because i've got two more blade films in the pot to watch at some point so you know one day i'll draw them out hopefully not too soon and um well i wonder what i will draw out next can't wait to find out what up geez back again i'm gonna choose another film from the pot. Shall we see what we got? Okay, we're in. Got it. Apocalypto. I kind of know this film. I know nothing about it other than it's a foreign language film that Mel Gibson's directed. After he's done The Passion of the Christ, which I also haven't seen, but unlike Apocalypto, I do not own The Passion of the Christ. Okay, so here it is. Mel Gibson's Apocalypto. No one can outrun their destiny. From Mel Gibson, director of The Passion of the Christ and the award-winning Braveheart, come the thrilling historical epic Apocalypto. This intense, non-stop action adventure transports you to an ancient Central American civilization for an experience unlike anything you've ever known. In the twilight of the mysterious Mayan culture, young Jaguar Poor is captured and taken to the great Mayan city, where he faces a harrowing end. 
Driven by the power of his love for his wife and son, he makes an adrenaline-soaked, heart-racing escape to rescue them and ultimately save his way of life. Filled with unrelenting action and stunning cinematography, Apocalypto is an enthralling and unforgettable film experience. Okay, so Apocalypto. Let's have a look, see what this is all about. So, that was Apocalypto. It was okay, I enjoyed it. It started off very strong, I thought. Just where they're hunting the tapir, and it's quite a primitive tribe. But I liked the camaraderie between them, and they're all sort of taking the mickey out of the bigger lad, Blunted, who turns out he's impotent. Or that him and his wife are having trouble raising a baby. But he's like the laughing stock of the family. But I quite enjoyed how, you know, the relationship between them all. And even the chief sort of tells them, look, don't listen to them. Be a man. And then he gives him this stuff to rub on his testicles. So when he has, when he's next making love to his wife, it'll help. And then it turns out to be chilly or something. And it's, it's <laughs> I quite like that. And the whole village is laughing at him. I mean, it's cruel. But just banter in it, you know, what people are like. But then they meet these, this, this tribe travelling through and they uh, say their lands have been ravaged and they just want to pass through. And then this, this is where the film then, obviously, it takes a turn for the worse because you've seen the, the nice sort of primitive village in the forest and these hunter-gatherer types. And then you meet all the savages who turn up and just burn the place and take them for slavery, take them to become slaves uh, or sac- human sacrifices. And they travel with them for miles. You know, they travel for days to get to the main cities where there's the big temples and then they're all being sacrificed. It was a really well set up film. I enjoyed it. I was enjoying it. And I thought the production design was really good. When they got to the Mayan cities, it looked, you know, the bustling cities and all the activity going on. And you saw how they produced lime to paint these temples. It was interesting. And it felt, but also because of the performances and because it's all spoken in sort of an authentic language, it felt authentic watching it. But I keep thinking, well, Mel Gibson's done this. And I'm terrible for watching Mel Gibson films in the past and just, like, having to look up how authentic they were. Because I always remember, like, Braveheart, William Wallace, his character, his, his, the love interest through the film. It actually turns out that in real life, she was like an infant when William Wallace had died. They, they didn't even know each other. So... I'm watching this and I'm quite enjoying it. And then at the end, it gets a bit more far-fetched as he's he escapes sacrifice the main character, um, Jaguar Paul. And then he's being hunted by them, and he takes them to their forest, and then he starts hunting them. And it felt a bit sort of like a more modern sort of action film premise. But then, as I've watched it, and then I'm like, do you know what? I need to know quite how accurate this is because I don't know enough about the Mayans. So I looked up on a YouTube channel that I love called History Buffs. And yeah, it turns out the film is not very accurate <laughs> at all. There's some really authentic bits. Um, they said actually the city was quite authentic. And some of the dress of some of the characters was, some of it was a bit over the top, a bit too much. But some of the main points of the film were really out of date. 
like the, the sacrifices. The Mayans didn't do that for a long time until the Aztecs had introduced that sort of sacrifice. And he actually says that Gibson's mixing the Mayans and the Aztecs here. Sometimes you're watching stuff that the Mayans didn't even do, and the, it's more to do with the Aztecs. So, like, he's really jumbling up these different cultures. And then at the end, when the Spaniards arrive and sort of... He said that they didn't even, Spain didn't even exist when the Mayan civilization fell. It was another 600 years before Spain exists. So I thought, if you thought the, the gap between William Wallace and his girlfriend, the infant, if you thought that mix up in timelines was out, nothing compared to this one. Uh, but apart from that, I, it wasn't a bad film. I did quite, it was, it was quite tense in places. It went on, it went on a little bit. It didn't need to be like two hours and ten minutes long, I don't think. The opening scenes, you know, the scene where their little village is sacked at the beginning. It's quite traumatic watching it. And um, it works really well for a lot, you know, how the actors convey what's going on and the directing as well. Without a lot of words. But like there's some bits that I just didn't like where, say, he meets, they meet the little diseased girl, which she gives this prophecy. And again, it's... It just seems a bit far-fetched to me. She names him as the Jaguar. Oh, look, you've got him, and he's the man who runs with Jaguar. And when the day turns to night and all this stuff. And then everything that she says happens in the film. And I always think that's a bit of a sort of a cop-out, in a sense. You know, it's it's a bit too obvious and a bit too like, oh, we're going to say all these things, and then that's pinpoint in where we take the story. I don't know. It just never rings true with me. But then uh, also going back to the history buffs they said about this little girl has obviously got clear indication that she's got smallpox but smallpox wasn't introduced to the mayans and to that sort of part of the world until the western cultures arrived so if this is before the western cultures arrived there's no way that she would have had smallpox and he says this is for hundreds of different like illnesses that they could have chosen but he chose the one illness that there's no possible way was there at that time I thought some of the cinematography was good. Some of the shots were great. I really liked the shot when he's running through the forest at the end and he's being pursued and he's like running ahead of him and then he spurts and he just sort of disappears into this dense foliage ahead of him. I thought that was a a good shot. And I liked seeing the little boy has cut his leg open and the mum is using like some sort of bug to stitch his leg and she sticks its head in and it clamps down and then they rip the head off and it holds the skin together. And I just think things like that, you know, pretty interesting. So, yeah, not the best film, but definitely not the worst. Uh, I quite enjoyed it and it had quite a good feel to it and it was quite well directed, really, even if it wasn't historically accurate. And now, don't get me wrong, I mean, I know that a lot of films are historically inaccurate uh, and a lot of filmmakers do sort of exaggerate and swap timelines around and things. So I'm not going to get that petty that I'm going to hold it dead against Mel Gibson for this. You don't go to the cinema to be taught history, do you? You go there to be entertained. And this film was entertaining. Okie dokie then, let's have a look at yet another film. Got the case here, pop it open. Oh, I've got a handful, they're all stuck together. Hang on, shake that off. Right, I've got one. I'm left with one, I don't know what it is yet. It's back on. Open it up. 
The Corrupt Lieutenant. Right. I've got a feeling that's Harvey Keitel, isn't it? Is it Abel Ferreira, the director? I think it is the same director as uh, King of New York. Did he do that as well? I'm just assuming here. For some reason that's popped in my head, but I might be wrong. Corrupt Lieutenant. The Corrupt Lieutenant, Harvey Keitel and John Lydon from the Sex Pistols. I know it's directed by Roberto Fienza. Music by Ennio Morricone from the uh, Good, the Bad, the Ugly films. So, Harvey Keitel stars as corrupt Lieutenant Fred O'Connor in this grim and potent police thriller, which also features a compelling performance from its co-star, John Lydon, Johnny Rotten, as a sinister young man who appears to be a violent, psychopathic cop killer. O'Connor lives in a secret world of luxury living, financed by his illicit deals, which is invaded by a young man who appears in his life and confesses to a series of cop killings. From this point, they engage in a vicious and twisted psychological battle of wills in a sadistic exchange where both become dependent on each other. The cover is like one of those really thin DVD covers. Um, It's DVD size, but it's like slim. Uh, quite a cheap cover the pictures actually of Harvey Keitel on the front he looks older than he does in the screenshots on the back so I'm not sure it's actually from the film so I've had this one for a very long time I can't even remember where I got it but yeah let's have a look the corrupt lieutenant let's see what this is all about so the corrupt lieutenant (laughs) um Basically, it starts, and uh, the quality of the film is like watching a pirate VHS. And despite the cover calling it Corrupt Lieutenant, the titles on the film actually call it just Corrupt. So, it's known as Corrupt. Well, I've done some looking into it, because um, I was like, what made me think that I thought it was Abel Ferreira film? So, I googled that, and Abel Ferreira made The Bad Lieutenant. So I thought, oh, maybe this DVD was re-released, repackaged later on and retitled Corrupt Lieutenant to try and echo the bad lieutenant and get the, you know, audiences in mistaking one for the other. Uh, Then I also found out it's also called Cop Killer and it's also been called Order of Death. So, yeah, a lot of titles. So have they done a lot of repackaging for this film? I don't know. It felt very much like watching a porno. Um, there was uncomfortable extras uh, in and around the police station. John Lydon almost felt like he was reading his lines. Uh, the soundtrack was sort of loud and brash and not as cool or as well-fitting as Ennio Morricone's score in the western films that I've watched in fact for the most part it seemed like there was just one song playing over and over and over actually it was two songs there was one score and then like this really weird country and western song that Harvey Keitel right basically Harvey Keitel and this other chap Bob you know they work in the narcotics division and they're corrupt so imagine they've been selling drugs and that I don't know if I missed where it said but basically yeah they've made money and they've bought this apartment together the opening scenes are very slow you're just sort of 
watching Harvey Keitel do some really mundane activities. There's a lot of that in this, where you see things that you wouldn't usually see in a film, and it's like, it, it feels very much, I keep I'm all over the place with this, but it felt very much like this was made by a child. Uh, how a child thinks a thriller should be, you know? This felt very much like that. Anyway, so you're watching Harvey Keitel just walking through a lobby, going into his house. It, I don't know, it just shows everything and it doesn't need to. Uh, and then he goes and relaxes in his lounge and he just puts on some this really weird country western song. But then, like, throughout the whole film, it keeps coming back to that one same song. So you've got the one sort of score, piece of score that they seem to play over and over. And then you've got this one song that Harvey Keitel keeps listening to. It's weird. Anyway, there's cop killings going on. John Lydon is suspected of cop killing. He follows and stalks Harvey Keitel, turns up at his flat and says, I'm the cop killer, or in a sense. And then Harvey Keitel decides then that he's going to... I suppose because he because he knows the apartment and he probably knows how he got the apartment. I suppose Harvey Keitel doesn't want any ties to the, the apartment because of his, you know, because of how they got it. So he ties John Lydon up and he, he, he ends up sort of keeping him tied up for ages and then starts investigating things, goes and visits his nan, John Lydon's nan. It turns out that John Lydon's a bit of a, you know, he's come for money, his family have died and he lives with his nan and she's got lots of wealth she's actually the nan out of uh, Mars Attacks in case you wondered um, but then uh, oh, it's just strange yeah then Ky- Harvey Keitel's partner Bob comes back and says you can't keep him locked up like this and then Harvey Keitel kills Bob but he's not dead and then he's carrying the body and John tells John Lydon that he's going to kill up William and then they get sort of tied together and we're not tied together but you know because he's taken part in this murder Harvey Keitel and then the next day when they find the body and then police are like oh this this things don't work out it sounds like a really good plot but it's just executed really badly um, but then Harvey Keitel starts sort of having guilt after that and then John Lydon turns up and just starts swanning around his the apartment like he owns it it's really fucking weird all these things that's posing questions and I'm like why is he doing this what is going on why is Harvey Keitel letting this happen and I don't know it was just a really strange film um it's intriguing maybe it's you know even just talking about it now it sounds better than it was but it really it missed a lot of marks. Uh, really low budget and um, a bit disappointing, a bit strange. And yeah, John Lydon just cannot act. And even Harvey Keitel's acting felt a bit wooden. But then he was acting against such wooden actors throughout it. It was just, yeah, not a great film, if I'm honest. <laughs> So, quite a selection of films there. The oldest of them, Deliverance, is one of those films that I really should have seen. And as I'm recording this, the outro, it's a day after Ned Beatty has passed away. One of the stars of Deliverance passed away yesterday, so very sad news. And uh, then we had 
Wesley Snipes in Blade, which it was all right. It wasn't my great, the greatest film. There's some really good bits, but I got a bit bored of it by the end. That being said, since I've watched that, we have reviewed Pan's Labyrinth. And that's um, Guimero del Toro uh, directed that Pan's Labyrinth. And I've found out that he directed Blade 2. So, although when I reviewed Blade here, I said I wasn't that bothered about watching the rest. Now, I'm really excited to watch Blade 2. Apocalypto was great fun. I really enjoyed it for what it was it was good action although not very authentic as we found out uh, and perhaps a little bit too long and some places a bit too sort of corny and the corrupt lieutenant i just didn't know what that film wanted to be uh, really strange i didn't quite understand what was going on um and just yeah had a real feel of a porno so bit weird so my film of the month is going to be deliverance that was just a tour de force it's a classic film for a reason the tension was just great throughout it was mesmerizing but it was done in such a way that it felt real you know it was a real story what would have happened in those situations it wasn't far-fetched it wasn't action it was it just felt a real gritty story and for that reason and also in memory of Ned Beatty who passed away yesterday our film of the month there Deliverance so thanks everyone for listening if you have enjoyed this podcast and you enjoy listening to me and Nath discussing a different film each week then please whichever podcast platform you are listening to please give us a rating subscribe share us review us whatever you can do to help us be much appreciated so take care and i'll see you all again for more films that i haven't watched yet very soon cheers